0: In a sports world full of one-sided takes and agendas, one man has the courage to tell both sides of the story. Now let's talk about the NBA bubble. This season has been a success. Yep, the script. This has also been deadly dull. what do you say? Welcome to the Turning Points podcast. I'm Jake Rongholt. This is where we tell the reality within the story. There is no right. There is no wrong. Just facts to both sides. You were serious about that? Plus, we have great guests including Fox 5 Atlanta sports reporter Kelly Price. There's beat writer for the Riot Report. Antoine Staley now joins us on the line. So enough talk. It's time to tell both sides in five four three two one and and i've always believed in this jake and i don't know how you believe it this continues to rattle my brain the turning points podcast starts right now Always oh, turning points where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Wronghull. Tweet me at at both sides That's both sides Thank you so much to all of the audience that has been tuning in to us on Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, and even leaving a comment or two. Appreciate that. You can also find this on Facebook.com slash both sides of the story. Two great guests coming up today. we got Zachary Jacobson, a Packer Report and contributor to Game on Wisconsin. Plus, we have Alex Fleming, sports director for the Florida Sun, covering the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So much to get into. We have our top five turning points for the week of December 5th, 2020. And then we will close things out with our We Did Not Forget segment. So enough talk. i got a story to tell you, though. I, for me, I just can't stand this question. Jake, what do you want for Christmas this year? I have no idea. I'm not 10, year, 10 years old anymore. I'm not expecting on Christmas Day to come down and I got a little Tykes workshop or something like that, or the latest Power Ranger action figure. I mean, I'm 34 years old. Honestly, what I want for Christmas is I want family, I want friends. And I want to be able to give back to the community. That's what I'm looking for. Toys for Tots, donations, whatever I can think of. Heck, I'll even walk up to somebody with a bell, ringing a bell with a mask on and drop a dollar in there. That's what I look at. So I thought history was made on Monday night. I thought this was happening. Adults were going to actually know what each other got for Christmas. So my girlfriend is sitting there. I'm to the left of the couch. She's to the right of the couch and she is zoned in. And I don't know why this game is a dog. It's the Seattle Seahawks and the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't get it. So I'm sitting here watching this and she's just going away. And I'm like, I look over and going, what are you on?" She points over to it and I go, oh, okay. It's that high profile jewelry website. Look, I'm not a sponsor for it, so I can't say it. So here I am. And she goes, what do you think of this item? And I said, it's nice. Is that what you want for Christmas? And she goes, "Yeah." I went, "Okay." Well, that was it. that was simple. All right. Ten minutes later, I look over again, and she goes, "What do you think of this item?" And I go, "It's nice." So you're trying to tell me you want these two items from this high-profile jewelry rep- website? And she goes, "Yeah." I went, "Okay." Well, that was easy. All right. You know, so I pay for it. I got the delivery date set up. I'm done. So I thought to myself, "We just made history. This is it. Now I actually get to know." What I got for Christmas? So I ask her, So, what did you get me for Christmas? She stops, looks at me, gives me a little sly smile, and I'm sitting there going, "Uh Uh-oh, this is going to end in one of two ways. Hopefully in a good way. She looks at me and she goes, It's a secret. Three words that I I thought I would never get. I mean, that was something that I, I would hear back when I was a child. But she goes, It's a secret. I'm like, Okay, so... You can't tell me what I want for Chris, I got for Christmas, but you're going to know exactly. And she goes, yeah, I like your reaction to it, my reaction to it. And she tells me about that Lamar Jackson graphic tee I got last year. You know, nobody cares, work harder. And I had like the, it was like my eight-year-old version of myself came out and was so excited over this t-shirt that I got. It was a t-shirt, but it was something I got from her. So it mattered to me a lot. So I was like, all right, fine. I'll just let it slide on that. Dang, guys, I thought I made history with this. I thought we were growing up. I thought Christmas was about to take a new radical turn. And unfortunately, eh, it just stayed the same. All right, it's time for our top five turning points for the week of December 5th, 2020. We got a lot to get into here. Don't forget, Zachary Jacobson and Alex Fleming will be on today's show. We already got guests set up for next week as well. So let's get to it. Here are your top five turning points for the week of December 5th, 2020. All right, let's get into both sides of the story with turning point number five, and that is what happened around Wednesday. I got a text from a friend of mine, a connection that covers the Washington Wizards, and it was after I just got this big news. It was Russell Westbrook traded to the Washington Wizards. Who did the Wizards trade away? John Wall, and I thought to myself, This was the perfect trade for the Washington Wizards. And I was wondering one thing and one thing only. So I asked my connection. I said, is Bradley Beal okay with this? Comes back and he says, yeah, Beal is okay with this. He is fine with this. And why not? Because now you finally got rid of a person that is made of glass. He was a solid player. But, I mean, let's talk about John Wall here for a second. This was a first-round pick. But, He continued to get hurt, and this was all the way back in 2012, 33 games he missed with a left knee injury. He missed three games in the Eastern Conference Semifinals in 2015. On January 30th, 2018, left knee procedure, six to eight weeks out. And then 2019, February, Achilles tendon. He was done. John Wall is made of glass. He's never going to be the John Wall that he was in his first couple of years. There was a moment in 2015 to 2017 where he was one of the top players in the NBA. That's gone. Russell Westbrook had a great year with the with the Houston Rockets. This is a bullseye. This is actually what is going to help the Washington Wizards get into the playoffs. This is something that is actually going to help them build around Thomas Bryant and Bradley Beal and Scott Brooks keeping his job because, what do you know, Scott Brooks has history with Russell Westbrook. Keep this in mind. Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook all had a chance at the Larry O'Brien Trophy back in 2011. So it is possible, while this is not like the greatest thing since sliced bread, or, you know, this is the team that's going to knock off the Lakers, stop with that right now, but the Washington Wizards are actually a playoff-bound team. And I'm talking 7-8 seed, but that's a lot better than what they had last year. We're talking about a team... That didn't have Bradley Beal, John Wall was was out, and they were one in seven in the bubble. This actually feels like confidence-building basketball that is coming to Washington and right on time. Now flip the script, the Houston Rockets. What in the name of Akeem 1 are you doing? Why is it all of a sudden you make, as soon as Daryl Morey says "see you later, I'm off to the Sixers," you make the most un-Daryl Morey move. You trade for John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins. You signed DeMarcus Cousins to a one-year contract, the same DeMarcus Cousins who has a torn ACL and an Achilles tendon to his injury story. Same with John Wall. I already told you how many times Wall has been injured. And Daniel House is not a household name. Clint Capella is a good defender. And then you got this coach, Steven Silas, who is the, who is the son of Paul Silas. While I do like that move, I don't like what the Rockets are doing. What are you saying to your fan base? Uh, Guys, we're going to be rebuilding around James Harden. This is the best option for us. Well, au contraire. What if the Rockets decide to send James Harden out of town? There are multiple teams in the Eastern Conference that want him on the team. So don't even think because it is the week of December 5th, 2020 that James Harden is going to be in a Rockets uniform on December 22nd. We still have two weeks left to go before there is a possibility that James Harden could still be on his way out of town. And from what I've been hearing from the media, it looks like it's inevitable. All right, let's head off to turning point number four. We'll stay in the NBA. The Los Angeles Lakers have already completed their Christmas list. Dennis Schroeder, done. Rajon Rondo is off to the Pelican, off to the uh, Hawks. Okay, fine. But we needed to do two main things. We bring in Wesley Matthews. Okay, that's a good move for bench. But LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that was the main signing. They needed to make those moves. LeBron James, two years, $85 million deal. We're talking about a guy who, in his mid-30s, had a career high in assists averaging 10, Counted 10 And he hasn't done that in his career. 35% from the three-point line, averaged 25 points in the bubble, even did better in the NBA Finals. And then Anthony Davis. What Rob Polenka has done has created hope for the next decade for how good the Los Angeles Lakers can become. Five years, $190 million deal, 26 points, 50% shooting, 85% from the free throw line. And the good news is Anthony Davis is hitting his prime. And he has not been injury riddled like he was in his first two years with New Orleans. There is no animosity. There is no argument. There's no problem. We're talking about a guy who four of the six games in the NBA finals last year averaged 29 a game. And you say to yourself, hey, the Lakers have gotten better. But then you look back at this. Even though they did beat the Miami Heat, flip the script, the Lakers are not the team to beat yet. I say that because you got to look at the other side of the story. While this is a great move for the Lakers, look who else has gotten better. In case we forgot, the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns just went and got one of the top veterans in the NBA in Chris Paul. And he is going to make DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker into household names. They're going to take a step forward. Not to mention, you guys forget about this team, the Denver Nuggets or the Portland Trailblazers. What if the Golden State Warriors have a season to remember in honor of Klay Thompson? Remember, he tore his ACL, but James Wiseman's there. They still got Steve Kerr, and they still got a terrific front office. So just because the Lakers said, OK, we brought in Anthony Davis and LeBron James. We, we rebuilt the bench. We brought in a better starter for Dennis Schroeder keep this in mind that western conference is still dominant and it means it's going to be a lot of teams they're going to be vying for that and it's going to be tough for the lakers so understand this don't be putting on 2021 los angeles lakers on the larry o'brien trophy just yet just yet that's exactly why we do not do hot takes here on the turning points podcast Speak about that let's head off to turning point number three and we head to the nfl for a snoozer of a game on Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah, Wednesday afternoon football. How was your Wednesday? What did you do? You usually, you know, what do you do? You watch a talk show or two, clean the house, get done with work, go to the gym, you know, something like that. No, 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 you're watching Wednesday afternoon football between the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. But wait a minute, here's the problem. The Baltimore Ravens had 20 players out. Twenty players, so all they got left is Robert Griffin III and Trace McSorley from Penn State. And in fact, this is crazy to me. The Ravens' quarterbacks were nine for eighteen, and one hundred and ten yards, a touchdown, and an interception. And the final score was nineteen to fourteen. And give credit to the to Baltimore. They show that their depth chart is strong for the future. If you could play like that against a domineering Pittsburgh team that is undefeated, you're doing something right. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if this is actually the thing that is going to help them. Now flip the script. The Pittsburgh Steelers are vulnerable. Yeah, I said it. The Pittsburgh Steelers may be undefeated, but they are vulnerable because they are not blowing out teams. They're not blowing them out. In fact, 8 of 11 games, they are averaging winning by 6 points or less. Six points or less. And can you imagine what would happen if they would have lost to a Baltimore Ravens team that didn't have 20 of their starters? Think about that, 20 starters on a 53-man roster. It would have been a disaster. It would have been. And you can't tell me that this Steelers team is the team to beat. I still say it's Kansas City. Kansas City has the best offense in the game, the best coach in the game. This is exactly what you want outside of Bill Belichick. Story for another time. But Ben Roethlisberger, 51 passes. Who throws 51 passes against a team like the Ravens, who are going through COVID outbreak hell and still decided to make the trip because the NFL, they don't want to cancel a game. They don't want to cancel it. But Pittsburgh has a tough schedule ahead. Washington, that will not be easy. They are playing very well. Ron Rivera is a great coach at Buffalo. At Cincinnati, that's easy. That's a win. Indianapolis, don't fall asleep on that defense. We could have like a 13-10 game at Pittsburgh in the snow. And then at Cleveland. And by the way, this is not the Cleveland Browns that were been a complete mess since 1999. No, no. This is a team that plays ugly just like Pittsburgh. They love to run the football while Pittsburgh likes to throw the ball. Don't believe in the Steelers quite yet. They want the Lombardi Trophy, but I don't even think they're going to get to 16 wins. I still say, Kansas City is the team to beat. Defending champions, always. Let's head out to turning point number two, and oh, the college football playoff. Oh, I was so excited for this. Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State. Now, where do you say, is a team that has played seven games, a team that has played eight games, and an undefeated team, you say? Well, Texas A&M, five Florida six and Cincinnati undefeated eight and oh Cincinnati Bearcats seven you got to be kidding me with this once again we are pushing Ohio State in here Flip the script Ohio State hell the Big Ten should not have a chance to college football playoff these should not this is why they put in rules to this Ohio State has only played four games Currently, they're playing Michigan State. That's all. We know that's going to be something. But look at this. You're penalizing teams like Texas A&M and Florida, who have played the majority of their schedule, played eight games, played seven games, for a team that has had to continuously cancel their games because they can't stay out of the COVID mess. Remember, Ryan Day tested positive for coronavirus, their head coach. Think about that for a moment. The Big Ten should not have a shot. Wisconsin should not. Indiana should not. Michael Penix is out for the season. That was their best player. And even though, even if Wisconsin does beat Indiana or Indiana beats Wisconsin, this conference should not play at all. They should not have a chance at the college football playoff because this is the conference that actually looked like they were the smartest people in the group. In case you forgot, we have over 277,000 people have lost their lives we are averaging 3,000 deaths per day. And we're saying to ourselves right now, this is exactly why the Bay Ten said we are not playing. Because we had no idea what was going to happen in Thanksgiving and Christmas. And this is what happens when we have no leadership. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying it's in a statement. But just think about this. There's no Rose Bowl crowd. That's a big one right there. That is going to be weird to see no crowd at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And then five games were canceled this weekend. You see where I'm coming from here? The Big Ten went from the smartest conference to canceling the season to the dumbest. And they can't stay healthy. And they can't contain COVID. This has got to stop. Stop praising the Big Ten. They don't need to be in the conversation. Give credit where credit is due. Texas A&M, Florida, Cincinnati. Those are the ones who should be battling for the college football playoff not ohio state and finally turning point number one back to the nfl so the lions finally fired bob quinn general manager and head coach matt patricia matt patricia 13 and 29 and one a so-called rocket genius scientific genius 13 wins 29 losses and one tie you say hmm well now once again the lions are going to redo they're going to Revamp. They're going to try and figure out another philosophy. Good luck, Detroit. We know what happens. Jaguars fired general manager Dave Caldwell after 39 wins in his last five seasons. And not to mention, this is a guy who has gotten rid of his entire 2017 AFC championship roster, except for one. Miles Jack. I don't know how he kept the job. I really don't. But flip the script. How in the world are the Chicago Bears not rebuilding right now? How have they not brought in Ryan Na- uh, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace and fired them? They got blasted by the Green Bay Packers 41-25 on national TV on Sunday Night Football. And guess what? They're playing, ironically, the Detroit Lions this weekend at Chicago. Oh, it's going to be a joyous occasion, isn't it? Two fired people gone for Detroit. Daryl Bevel's now going to be the head coach interim. And then the Chicago Bears. The Lions might actually have a brighter future than the Chicago Bears because they refuse to fire anybody. Because it's not just Ryan Pace. It's not just Matt Nagy. It's not just trying to find a way to get Mitchell Trubisky out and force him to go uh, play another year and another team. It's not that. It is their front office. Once again, it's George McCaskey. It's Ted Phillips. If you lose to the Detroit Lions, could you just do the city of Chicago a favor and just put them out of their misery? Fire all five. Seriously. Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, Ted Phillips, George McCaskey, and then figure out a way to get Mitchell Trubisky to finish off his final games in 2020 and then get ready for a free agency in 2021 where he is stuck between a one-year $6 million deal or a one-year $2 million deal as a backup. Think about it. Enough is enough. Bears, make the move because right now, detroit looks smarter than you all right that'll do it for our top five 30 points for the week of december 5th 2020 got any comments or concerns we always welcome them please go to at both sidesports. sports that's both sides sports on twitter facebook.com slash both sides of the story and then please leave us a comment on itunes or you can go on stitcher spotify and my favorite podcast host anchor All right, we're just getting warmed up here on the Turning Points Podcast because when we return, when we return, it's time for Alex Fleming of the Florida Sun to come on, sports director, talking some Jaguars, some Buccaneers, a lot of things have been happening, plus Zachary Jacobson of the Packer Report, contributor to Game on Wisconsin. We're just getting warmed up here on the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt, and you're listening to it right here on Spotify, Stitcher, and Anchor. I could not start off this Turning Points podcast for the week of December fifth, than bringing on a very good friend of mine who speaks his mind and writes like it. He is Alex Fleming. He has been with the Florida Sun. He has covered the Buccaneers for Bucks Report. Now he's covering the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, I cannot believe how many jobs this guy has. He's a host of the NFL Carousel, and he is kind enough to, on his busy schedule, to join us here on the Turning Points podcast where we tell. Both sides of the story. By the way, I'm Jake Wrongholt, and you can tweet me at both sides sports. All right, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what is the word to describe the 2020 Buccaneers? Bipolar. Okay. Why is that? You don't know what bug squad
1: you're going to get. Uh, the beginning bug squad, it was just pure talent over matching teams. Then once the Chicago Bears shut them down. And showed teams the blueprint on how to attack Tom Brady. They had to diversify. They started running the football. Then, when they started running the football, they got a little bit cocky because Green Bay was beating them when they played man coverage. So they switched over to zone. They got in love with the zone coverage and then ran into the New Orleans Saints and got embarrassed at home. So they decided to run the football again. That's when Rojo had 192 yards rushing, a fumble, and a touchdown. But then they ran into the Rams, where their pass coverage was not that good. Robert Woods, 12 catches, 130 yards and a touchdown. Cooper Cup, 11 catches, 145 yards. They got beat down by the same two players. And then you had Kansas City, where you knew this was going to be a fight. You tried playing man. Tyreek Hill burned you for 269 yards and three touchdowns. So you went to zone coverage. So you left the middle of the field open for Travis Kelsey to eat. And you came back when you were down big. Now, 345 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions is nice. But a lot of that is makeup yards. Trash yards, if you will. Because the first and second quarter, Tampa Bay looked horrible. So yeah, in a nutshell, 7-5 record. You're better than you are worse. Bipolar.
0: Who is to blame more for this mess? The front office or the coaching staff or the players? Ooh, uh, more.
1: Keyword being more. All right, then I'm going to go with the front office. There's plenty of blame to go around. Uh, you can blame the players, which is easy to do, or what most people do. You can blame the coaching staff, but that coaching staff's been implemented in there for two years. So I'm going to blame the front office for not getting the proper amount of linemen, not doing their due diligence in signing more offensive linemen, not getting the shutdown corner when you had the cap room, and now that you're strapped with cap room, bringing in a locker room cancer that still doesn't have a touchdown. I'm going to leave him nameless because he hasn't been a problem yet. So without a doubt, catering to a GOAT, not listening to your coaches, and just ignoring what everybody with two eyes can see is trying to tell you, you need offensive linemen. So yeah, this one falls on the front office.
0: Yeah, it's one thing that we mentioned, even as Tom Brady was building up this dream team and it's starting to look like the Eagles of 2009 when Vince Young came out and called the Eagles the dream team. And it's starting to look like that right now. Let's talk about Tom Brady here for a minute. What have you seen from Tom Brady that you haven't seen in the past?
1: Aggressiveness. Uh, Tom Brady is taking chances now. Under Arian's system with this no-risk-it-no-biscuit nonsense, you're going to throw interceptions. That's bound to happen. Well, guess what? He has, I believe, 11 on the season, but he is second in the league in passing yards behind Patrick Mahomes. So that tells me two things. He doesn't have enough time in the pocket. He's taking unnecessary chances. 3,300 yards is nothing to sneeze at, but he's not making conscious decisions that's going to benefit the team. Tom Brady has nothing to prove. You're going to have his faithful that are going to bring up six rings every single time somebody says something negative his way. With that being said, if you're the alleged GOAT, shouldn't you be able to adjust to another person's offensive scheme and plan? I mean, it's not all about you, or at least it shouldn't be. And if it is, why did you pick Tampa? You could have stayed in New England and had things your way. He came here because of the weapons, the opportunity, and the chance to prove Bill Belichick and New England Patriot fans wrong. Well, learn the playbook, learn the plays, and do Bruce Arian's system. You have the second half of the season to make this right. 11-5? to 5? It's not that bad of a playoff record.
0: He's Alex Fleming. I call in the Swiss Army Knife of Sports Talk. Joining us here on the Turning Points Podcast, where we tell both sides of the story. You can tweet him at ALXFleming. Let's get into the defense. This defense looked like it was one of the top five bests earlier in the season. What has happened to this defense?
1: Vita Vey and him not being there happened to this defense. For the Tampa Bay faithful, take a ride with me here. We were the number one rushing defense last year. Vita Vayne and Suit were imposing their will on the offensive line. Vita Ve gets hurt, I believe, against Chicago. Now you have to put in some backups in Nunez Rochez who actually is pretty good, but not the dominant power that Vita Vane is. So now teams feel that they can rush on us. With the lack of the pass rush, now teams are going to be able to pass on us. Play action is a killer because we're still young in the secondary. Sean Murphy Bunting is nice, but he doesn't want that smoke from a number one receiver. Jamel Dean should be a safety, not a corner, but he's undersized. So when he's matched up against a Jimmy Graham or other people of that ilk, he can't match up properly. Carlton Davis has no business being on Tyree Hill are not having a safety over the top. So it's a mismanagement of the defense on a little bit, and the fact that our rushing defense attack is not at its prime strength. I guarantee you, if we had Vita Vey back, we wouldn't have lost against the Rams. We damn sure would have been more competitive against the Saints. And Kansas City would have had more than all they could
0: handle.
1: How do the Bucs right the ship? They can't this year. Uh, They're not going to find offensive linemen abracadabra style. Vita Vey needs to come back. They need a shutdown corner because you can't put this much expectation on Antoine Whitfield, who is playing great, by the way. And Bruce Arians and Tom Brady need to get on the same page. Be damned what the outside crew says. Be damned what all the fans say. It's not about Brady being right. It's not about Arians being right. It's about getting the system right. Grab an offensive lineman. Let Vita Vey heal. See if you can find a shutdown corner or a pretty good corner on the cheap when you get some of that cap room and fix the offensive tempo. This team is a playoff team. They are not a Super Bowl caliber team.
0: He's Alex Fleming. I call him the Swiss Army Knife of Sports Talk. He has more jobs than I could think of in the state of Florida. Joining us here on the Turning Points podcast. Let's go to the other side of the NFL spectrum, the Jacksonville Jaguars. You have been covering them this season. Doug Marone is still coaching in Jacksonville, but why did they fire general manager Dave Caldwell? Dave Caldwell
1: is the one who made the horrible decision to not re-sign Calais Campbell and get him away for a fifth-round pick. He sold Yannick Ngakwe for peanuts to Minnesota, who also landed in Baltimore. He didn't give Jalen Ramsey that contract. Have you seen how Jalen Ramsey's been playing for the Rams? Gee, we could really use a shutdown corner in Jacksonville right now. C.J. Henderson is nice and fresh at the rookie spot but we don't have any linebacker help. Miles Jack is being overwhelmed, and Josh Allen is hurting on the IR. Offensive line is decent. We could use some help there, but we don't have a solid quarterback. Gardner Minshew isn't the answer. Jay Gluten was a buzz in the pan, and Mike Glenn did everything he needed to do to not turn the ball over and not mess up the game, but he sailed on a couple of shots. Dave Caldwell cost this team draft picks, time, energy, and W's. It was more than past time for him to
0: go. For the 2017 championship team, the only one that is left on there is Miles Jack. And I'm I'm kind of surprised that Dave Cullough finally got fired. He should have got fired two years ago, but that's just my opinion on that. Let's stick with the other side of the story. Doug Marone, when does it feel like he is starting to coach for his job?
1: Doug Marone knows that his coaching tree has an expiration date. Doug Marone knew that his back was against the wall the beginning into the season, but he's handled it with patience and grace. He's told everyone he's going to stay faithful to all of his coaches. I'm pointing out Todd Walsh when I say that, because he says as long as he's here, Todd Walsh, the defensive coordinator, will be here. Doug takes chances. Um, let me give you an example. No one's talking about the 8-3 and three Cleveland Browns. And I find it ironic because this is going to be their first winning season since 2007. Uh, Last I checked, they lost to Cleveland 27-25, but you have to look deeper than that. Before they scored the last touchdown, when they were about to be in the third, mid-third, fourth quarter, they scored a touchdown, and they kicked the extra point, but Cleveland was offsides. So he could stick with the tie. At 20-20, or he could go for two and get a one-point lead. Well, he went for two. They didn't get it. Now the score is 20-19. to 19. At the end of the game, when they scored the last touchdown, it was 27-25. Now, if you kick that extra point earlier, you only need the extra point to tie the game. But since you went for two instead of keeping the one, now you're down two. And you have to go for the two-point conversion. You didn't get it. This is a good team in Jacksonville. Don't sleep on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, they're 1-10. in 10. Yes, they're eliminated from the playoffs. But they're only missing a couple of things. A corner, a linebacker, a offensive lineman, and a quarterback. I think between the 11 draft picks that Jacksonville is going to have, I think they might be able to acquire such necessities.
0: So where? So what will Gardner Minshew be doing next year? Will he be the starter, the backup, or on another team? I'm
1: going to go with B or C. It's cheaper to keep him, so he could be the backup. You can get rid of some of these inflated contracts, or you can ship him off for a little bit of value. He's loved in Jacksonville. No one hates Gardner. But you can't play when you're injured and not disclose that information because then you're hurting the team. Plus, him and DJ Shark need to have a little amends, hug, shake hands. I'm not quite sure because Shark feels that DJ has been raw from Mr. Minshew's actions, a la Detroit Lions. Look for the Jacksonville Jaguars to grab Justin Fields in the NFL draft.
0: I was about to ask that. Um, Outside of Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, who's another wild card quarterback that you could see in a Jacksonville uniform?
1: Wild card. Well, obvious than the two usual suspects. I'm gonna go with the quarterback from BYU, Zach Wilson. Now everyone's gonna say Trey Lance, Trey Lance, but he's from the same school as Carson Wentz. Have you seen Carson Wentz this year? Yeah. No thank you. Uh Zach Wilson, BYU had a harder strength of schedule, but due to <clears throat> Corona, a lot of those games got canceled and they had to rearrange their schedule. He's looked amazing. Presence in the pocket, poise, he's not afraid to run and he distributes. He could be a dark horse for a quarterback candidate, but you're not grabbing him with the number two pick.
0: Last time I've seen a BYU quarterback this good was Steve Young. So I'm curious on to see where Zach Wilson goes and see if they can finish off this season. Let's stay in the NFL. Who is more to blame for violating COVID-19 protocols, the Broncos quarterbacks or the Ravens franchise?
1: Ooh, ooh, ooh.
0: Wow. Um, I want to say Broncos, but my heart
1: is telling me, no, it's the Ravens. You have a strength and conditioning coach who's asymptomatic, has been for quite some time, and he refused to wear a mask. You're in constant contact with this guy. I've played high school and college football. So the strength and conditioning coach, if he's not your friend, he's your rival. You're constantly seeing this guy. And you constantly have something to prove because he's pushing you. And if he's in your face and you're breathing in his air, Imagine how many people he can contaminate. Now, Denver, that's just idiocracy. I I admit that. But Baltimore, that's a tragedy. Because there were high expectations for the Baltimore Ravens this year. and You are not going to meet them. You haven't met them. El Freaky is starting to get figured out. Ingram and Dobbins, it's like days of our lives. Ingram's the old running back. Dobbins is the new running back. And all the transition is being pushed to one side. You don't have a primetime wide receiver, and I'm, I'm including Des Bryant inside of this mix because he's not the old Des Bryant. Everyone knows that the game involves around the running game and the tight ends. So it would behoove you to have healthy bodies. Ronnie Stanley not being on the line has been a detriment to Lamar Jackson and this rushing game. Losing Nick Boyle at the blocking tight end position has only hampered the progression down the field. And now you have a strength and conditioning coach who wants to get half the team and squad sick. It's Baltimore.
0: What would you, if you met a Ravens fan right now and they were asking, why is this game not postponed? What would you tell them? The easiest way to
1: upset your fraternity brothers is to cost them money. The NFL is a business. You decided to opt in instead of opted out. CJ Mosley opted out of the Jets. He's eating chicken wings and at a bar, watching his team just completely collapse. You decided to opt in so you knew what the risks were. And you know that if any game has to get rescheduled to where you can't play, there's an 18th week. So that means you're going to screw Kansas City. You're going to screw Pittsburgh. You're going to screw Buffalo. You're going to screw New Orleans. You're going to screw Green Bay. And you're going to screw Seattle. You knew what this was.
0: Give me a dark horse to win the AFC. That would be the Buffalo Bills. Hmm.
1: Nice and quietly, they're the 3rd 4th seed with a good enough defense to bend but don't break and Josh Allen's just slinging the ball like he's Elvis Presley in Memphis. Everyone wants to focus their attention on Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans. Or better yet, better yet, Uh, Kansas City is not a dark horse, but what about Indianapolis? No, Philip Rivers, we don't trust them. Josh Allen is a blend of Patrick Mahomes meets Aaron Rodgers. He's not afraid to run the football, and he's got the arm to sling it down the field. Who got Diggs? Who's been covering Diggs? (laughs) If it wasn't for a Herculean effort of Tyreek Hill, Diggs would still be leading the AFC conference. NFC, that's DK Metcalf, but that's a completely different story. Buffalo has the tools to get into a fight with
0: anyone and make it look pretty. Where do you see the Raiders finishing off this season? Oh wow, yeah, Vegas forty-three very, to very six much disappointed me. Yeah, five they turnovers disappointed me.
1: That was supposed to be a gimme game for the Raiders. That game was going to put them in the six-seven conversation for the playoffs, and they just they lied down. Oh, the, the, the Raiders are the only team that could be an absolute threat to the Kansas City Chiefs because they already beat the Kansas City Chiefs, but they get in their own way. Josh Jacobs not running the football and fumbling. Derek Carr fumbling the ball left and right. Uh, Darren Waller is a dominant tight end. I'd say he's in the vicinity of Travis Kelsey. Why are you not peppering him with targets? Henry Ruggs, why are you going to pick the first wide receiver off the board if you're not going to utilize his talents? Throw the ball deep. That's what he's there for. Uh, Vegas, defense, I, I don't even know where to begin. That secondary is not that good. Oof. And I'm just going to say that nicely. They're not that good. Uh, the front seven's all right. They're all right but then you got a secondary that's not that good. You're not getting a lot of three and outs. Um, Vegas is one of those teams that's going to finish with the winning record and miss the playoffs.
0: Whoa. Okay. What team do you feel like could knock the Raiders out of the playoff picture then?
1: You know, those, those, Dolphins are pesky. South Florida (laughs) is starting to get a little bit machismo back. We're winning with and without Tua And I think it's funny because everybody was like, it's Tua time. It's Tua time. I'm like, Ryan Fitzpatrick did just fine before Tua took over this team. They're well ahead of schedule, by the way. I mentioned last year that I expected nothing out of Miami this year, but in 2021, This team was going to be a headache. They can play defense. They got the best corners in the business. The front seven is legit. The addition of Kyle Van Noy only helped, not hurt. And with the weapons of Devontae Parker and Preston Williams finally healthy, they need to get Miles Gaskin back. And once they do, they can beat you with the running game. They can beat you with the passing game. And the defense is exploiting you because they're looking to make turnovers. Tua or Fitz,
0: Miami. I love it. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment because you brought up the Buffalo Bills and they're playing the San Francisco 49ers Monday night football next week at Arizona because Santa Clara has a COVID-19 protocols that keep athletics out of business. Basically, if the 49ers beat the bills, what does that mean for the NFC West?
1: The NFC West would be hands down the toughest division in football. They already are, but you have some naysayers. You got some people saying, no, it's the AFC North. No, it's the NFC South. Look, with the addition of the seventh playoff squad, the NFC West will have at least three teams representing them in this year's playoffs. Stand and pay attention to that. All right? The number two or three seed will be Seattle or the Rams. The number five seed will be Seattle or the Rams. And then the number seven seed will be either Arizona or the San
0: Francisco 49ers. Three. Imagine the playoffs where you have
1: to play the NFC West to get to the championship.
0: Okay, so then what team, even if they finish with a winning record, who's going to be out if there's going to be three teams in the NFC West?
1: Arizona is barely holding on to the lead, and them beating San Francisco week one has come up to be clutch right now. Arizona needs to get their head out of their butt because they've blown a couple of opportunities to extend the lead against San Francisco and their counterparts. I believe San Francisco is still not going to make the playoffs, but they're getting healthy, and if by some chance. They managed to make it in as the seventh seed into the playoffs. They would more than likely be playing Green Bay. And I think we've seen this story not once but twice last year. When Green Bay played San Francisco earlier this year, San Francisco was a shell of themselves. No Jimmy Garoppolo, no George Kittle, no Richard Sherman, no Warner, no Nick Bosa, no Solomon
0: Thomas. I could go on, but I think you get my point. I've San lost,
1: Francisco yeah. is
0: in lo- Yeah, I've lost this count. Is a bad match San Francisco. Yeah, this is a bad
1: match if San Francisco makes the playoffs. But <laughs> we don't have to worry about that because we still have five-four weeks left in the season. And anything can happen. 2020 has taught us that.
0: You talked about Green Bay. They went out and signed a wide receiver, Tavon Austin. He's had history with Matt LaFleur. What can Tavon Austin bring to this Packers offense or special teams? Speed.
1: Speed kills. He's a wiry veteran that was a former Ram and a former Cowboy, and he knows how to stretch defenses. Now, Devontae Adams does his thing. That's why he's got double-digit touchdowns already, and we're only in Week 13. So we don't have to worry about him. Alan Lazar, he looked like he could be a solid number two. You need someone to stretch the defense so that way they don't play nickel coverage and blitz spot. That's what Table Austin brings to the program. Also, you can line him up for jet sweeps and in the running game because he's just big enough to take all of that heat to the defensive line of linebackers. This is a smart move from Matt Lafleur. I think he sees what's coming down in the future, and you don't want people balling up Rogers on the line of scrimmage so he can't get the ball to Devontae Adams or Robert Tunyon. Green Bay looks like a full ten this year.
0: Say that last part again. You broke out. Green Bay looks like
1: an actual contender this year. Green Bay has the opportunity to silence a lot of haters. Because last year, they were the worst-looking 13-3 team I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> this year, they look good. They look dangerous. And Mr. Rogers is... Focused like I've
0: never seen them before. I got to give credit to this team. I mean, the fact is, is that I felt like this team had no heart. They were kind of like the, the beginning of the Grinch Soul Christmas when, you know, they say that the heart is too sizes is too small. But they proved that their heart was bigger than we thought when they beat the Chicago Bears 40, 41 to 25. I agree with you. I just think that defense just needs to improve just enough. For me to actually look at this and say, this is a Super Bowl contender. Otherwise, I think my Penton might be out of here because it just feels like I talked to one of my connections at Packer Report and he told me this feels like a three year plan. The first year was amazing. 13 and three. This year looks like it's going to be better. It feels like the third year is when everything is going to come together and even a possibility at a better defense as well, because there is talent on this football team. But that's just my opinion. All right. Final question. Three games next Monday. We have three games. Steelers, Washington football team, Ravens, Cowboys, Bills, 49ers. What game are we watching next Monday? Go.
1: I'd like to think that the Ravens and Cowboys got pushed to Tuesday. I believe we get a treat and get two Monday night football games. Um, I'm watching Washington, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is going to be emotionally drained over the victory of the Baltimore Ravens. And you got a nice, healthy, young Washington football team squad that hasn't played a game since Thanksgiving. So they've had almost two weeks to plan for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let me tell you something if you don't already know. That front four of the
0: Uh Looks like that. we just lost Alex for a moment. It looks like he's uh, coming back on here pretty quick, but you heard him so far. By the way, yes, he is correct that Tuesday, the Ravens and the Cowboys is going to play 8.05 p.m. on Fox. All right, Alex is back here on the line. Alex, uh, continue what you were saying. You you were talking about this front four for the Washington football team.
1: The Washington football team front four is legit. Allen, Payne, do I need to mention the Predator Chase Young? Ryan Kerrigan, settle. These guys will come at you. They want that smoke. As I mentioned before, Montez Sweat and Chase Young need to start a cologne line because you can smell them coming. They got sacks for days, and they're opportunistic. Alex Smith was originally the starting quarterback some time ago, made it all the way down to third string. Now he's teaching Dwayne Haskins how to be a poise on the field and in the locker room. Ben, ben, but don't break. Checkdowns work. He could throw for 390 yards. We've seen him do it, but he can win with 160 yards. Now, take into account Pittsburgh has probably the most dangerous wide receiver core in the NFL. I didn't say the best. I said dangerous because on any given night, is it going to be Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Washington, Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald, if he can ever get off the COVID list, and James Conner when he's running the football, or McFarland, or Snell, he's got weapons galore. How do you stop those weapons? A nice, good, old-fashioned pass rush. Expect this game to be closer than expected. Everyone thinks that Pittsburgh's going to run the table and probably go undefeated. I don't. I think their first loss is against Buffalo. But Washington is going to help Buffalo and being the reason why they don't go undefeated this season.
0: Alex, I love it because this Washington football team is a lot of fun to watch because Ron Rivera has done a terrific job rebuilding this team, and they're only in their first year of their plan. Alex Smith looks great. Uh, Terry McLaurin is looking like one of the top receivers in the future. I mean, uh, you talk about a guy who has over 900 yards receiving, and no one's talking about him. Sammy Sims is starting to come alive here. Logan Thomas is starting to look like a decent tight end. And then that rookie out of Memphis, Antonio Gibson, had a great game against Dallas, but I love what you said about that front seven. Cole Holcomb and then you got safety DeShazier uh, Everett. These are guys that no one knows about. And it's it's kind of like one of those things where it's like no-name players are making plays. They're like an Alex Singleton or a Van Ginkle from Miami, and I love that. Alex Fleming, please plug every single thing you are doing right now for my audience. Oh, good. Goodness. Okay, I'm gonna Um, sit back. I'm gonna sit back, and I'm gonna give you some room. Go. So, Fantasy and Flavors is still
1: alive. I'm not doing the Fantasy and Flavors show because I lost my co-host Paul Hollywood Edwards to COVID nineteen. So please understand and believe that I take this COVID thing quite seriously. I'm releasing articles under the moniker of Fantasy and Flavors. I'm also releasing articles under the Florida Sun, Central Florida's oldest Black living newspaper. They've only been around for 91 years. I think they're doing something right. I handle the sports page. I'm the sports director. You can also catch me interviewing and reporting for the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's on home games, so I don't handle the, the away games. But expect me to be in the house for quite some time. They're quite hospitable. I like where I'm at. I like them. It's a bond made in heaven. Um, Sports arena. I have a gentleman by the name of Eric Wilson that I do a lot of work with. We go live on Mondays, and every now and then, we shoot the talk Thursday and Friday nights. The Magic Perspective. I cover the Orlando Magic. The NBA season is upon us. This is the last dreaded days of 2020. Here's a funny thing. Besides the Magic Perspective, I just might. Using that word, might be covering the Tampa Bay Raptors as well. That's just between you and me. Oh, and last but not least, Chris Cuff with 24 Flicks. I submit articles to him every now and then. Um, I don't have to worry about another person's site anymore because whenever I release Rams Roll Through Bucks with 24 Flicks, apparently there's a lot of families that like to read about football games. The most hits I've ever seen I get online, and I'm quite gracious and thankful for it. There's, I'm sure there's other things that I'm doing right now, but between all of my jobs and all of my writing dispenses and all the people that I work with, oh, I forgot about the carousel. Either you're on or you're off. My apologies. How am I going to forget about my own show? <laughs> the NFL Carousel is a show where football fans from across the globe, yes, globe, talk about their team. Who's going to be the hot player and what expectations they want. We're so happy that Bill O'Brien, Adam Quinn, and Matt Patricia have been fired from their positions. And if you've been paying attention to the carousel, you would know that H-Town Wheelhouse's own Brett Chauncey has spoke about it, that Danny Thompson and other Atlanta Falcon fans have spoke about it, and that Dom DeRuby was quite happy when Chuck E. Cheese finally got fired. So hop on the carousel. He might even be able to be a chance to be a guest on the show. Other than that, I'm a pretty boring guy, Jake.
0: <laughs> there is nothing boring about you, Alex. you got so many jobs. You're a blast to work with on the sports arena. I love doing it with you and Michael Caritanuto, Ruth the Truth, and Eric Wilson. I mean, Eric Wilson, he's, he's the architect of this great thing. He's Alex Fleming. I call him the Swiss Army knife of sports talk. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Turning Points Podcast, and we will definitely do this again in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's Alex Fleming. Humble as ever. Even though he does have an open mic during the sports arena, he knows when he has to be professional. And this is what we do on the Turning Points Podcast. I like to have him do open mic, but it's a lot of fun to see him do it on the sports arena. So, you know, we got two different... Uh, platforms and I do it in a kind of a both sides way. All right, we're going to take time out here. And when we come back, we are going to have Zachary Jacobson, a Packer Report, to talk about what is happening with the Packers all of a sudden. They're a Super Bowl contender. They bring in Tavon Austin. And then what defensive lineman should we be watching up for? There's a lot to get into here. We're just getting warmed up here on the Turning Points podcast where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongo. Make sure you tweet me at both sidesports. We had 50 followers in one day. I love doing this and growing this podcast. Stick around. Zachary Jacobson next on the Turning Points Podcast. Listen to it right here on Spotify, Anchor, and iTunes. You know, it's crazy to me as a Green Bay Packers fan. Now, I will say to you, I'm an unbiased Packers fan. And it's also my next guest. He's also unbiased, he's honest, and he tells the truth about the Green Bay Packers. He's Zachary Jacobson, and he'll be joining us here in just a moment. But I got to just wrap my head around this 2020 Packers team. A couple weeks ago, it looked like this team was about to crater, and suddenly they come back to life take out the Chicago Bears and win 41-25. to Then they make a huge move at the wide receiver position. And I'm sitting here going, who is this team? I had to bring on Zachary because he's going to give me the answers I need. You can follow him at It's Zachariah J on Twitter. That's his Twitter handle. He is also a writer for Packer Report, and he also is on Game On Wisconsin. And he joins us here live on the line. Zachary, thank you so much for joining us. Why did the Packers sign Tavon Austin?
2: Well, first of all, Jake, thank you for having me on. It's nice to nice to reconvene. It's been a while. Always a pleasure, man. I think the biggest, kind of like just the reason why they went after Tavon Austin, I think the whole re- reason that move was just centered around the status of Tyler Irvin. I mean, he's coming off of what was his third missed game now. He missed week six and seven. Uh, I believe against the Buccaneers and the Texans or the Vikings. It was one of those two, but he missed those two games and now he, he missed Sunday night's game against the bears. He's dealing with wrist and rib injuries, uh, which really we don't know the actual status of him. We'll find that on Wednesday, of course. Um, Maybe they sent him to IR. I know the corresponding roster move for Tavon Austin being actually added to the 53 was to release Darius Shepard. But yeah, I mean that, That whole, I mean, Tyler Irvin's spot in the offense, it was just, it's so critical, you know, because we saw him, he's their pre-snap motion guy. He's their special teams guy. When they brought him in last year, that first game against the Redskins, uh, I believe in December, he ignited their special teams and their special teams unit was just completely stagnant for the entire year. It was like one of the worst in in league history, I think. Like, they were setting records for how bad it was. You know, I know you remember that, and whoever's (laughs) listening right now, I think they remember it as well. Uh, So Tyler Irvin, his role on the team is just so important. Now that he's out of the picture, you bring in a guy like Tavon Austin, who not only has familiarity with Matt LaFleur from that uh, 2017 season with the Rams, but he's also a guy who has familiarity with running the jet sweeps, the pre-snap motion, a guy who has... That that return specialist capability, who knows how to return kicks, and he did so pretty damn well. Not only at West Virginia, but early on in his career um, with the Rams before he spent a couple of seasons with the Cowboys. So he has that that pedigree as a return specialist, and he's going to bring so much to the Packers. And you know, I think this this move
0: to a lot of people is going to fly under the radar, but I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm irrationally excited about this. <laughs> What do you think the reaction would have been if they would have brought in Kenny Stills? Uh, I think you probably would
2: have seen Packers Twitter burn to the ground in the best way possible, of course. I don't know if there's, you know, a good way that Twitter can burn to the ground, <laughs> but <laughs> I just think a lot of people would just they would have lost their freaking minds just, you know, kind of going through what the whole draft process was, they didn't draft a receiver, which I don't know if you heard about that. Oh no! No, know? I didn't. I've been living under
0: a rock lately.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. They didn't draft a receiver, and they also traded up in the first round to take a quarterback. I also didn't know if you heard about that. Um, and then they don't make a move at the deadline, you know. And Will Fuller was also, was obviously apparently at the top of the top of their list for targets, but to bring in someone like Kenny Still's, I think would just I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it would necessarily move the needle much for the Packers right now, offensively, because obviously they they have one of the best offenses in football right now. I mean, there's there's no secret about that. And I know you said at the show, like I'm very I'm very not I'm not biased or anything like that. But I mean, let's let's face it. You know, they're doing they're getting whatever they want offensively right now. The running game is kind of getting back into a rhythm after falling into like a weird little you know kind of stagnant spot for the last few weeks. Aaron Rodgers is playing at his best level in the last six years and they're just they're just getting whatever they want and you throw Kenny Stills into that equation and I just I mean I don't know if it would necessarily like I said move the needle that much you know it would it would make things happen a lot easier which would make things flow a lot better but at the same time I mean wh- wh- why not make things easier for your now 37 year old quarterback you know by the time this episode gets released I'm assuming which Aaron Rodgers he turns 37 on Wednesday so you know, why not make things easier for
0: him? Yes, and uh, let's remind our, let's remind everybody that this podcast did drop on Friday, December fifth, twenty twenty, as promised. Uh, here on the Turning Points Podcast. I want to bring up something about Kenny Stills, though, because it's kind of been on my mind. I would have not been happy with it, honestly. He only has five touchdowns. This year he only has one touchdown and 144 yards. If you watch him during his games, and I've watched a lot of game film of him lately, his route running is inconsistent. He doesn't have a strong chemistry with Deshaun Watson, who's one of the best throwers in the game. And it just doesn't look like he is fitting in in Houston. He looked like he was okay in Miami, but it kind of feels like he's regressing Scene there. And that's somebody I didn't want to see. I mean, I want to see a guy with some versatility that can help out not just special teams, but help out in the flat, uh, you know, be this versatile player. And I felt like Tavon Austin was going to bring that because he does have that ability. I mean, we're talking about a guy back in 2015 and 2016 who was one of the most dominant versatile players in the NFL, had eight touchdowns combined, got a contract out of it. And then unfortunately, it things just uh, got slippery after Matt LaFleur went off to Tennessee uh, to go coach up the Tennessee Titans uh, offense. So that was something I, I was actually relieved on. And I, I'm not saying that because, you know, hey, maybe Kenny Stills would have been a help. I just feel like if he can't make it on the Texans, and it's a dumpster fire there right now, you can't make it throughout the year, something is up here. And it, not just that, though. I'm also happy, Zach, that we did not, they did not bring in Will Fuller because six-game suspension – on peds that would have been a travesty media wise for green bay so they kind of fu- it kind of feels like they dodged a bullet here and i think it's also to me brian gutekust gets a big apology letter from packer fans for not going to get Will fuller because there was something there
2: i see i i agree on both points it's it's as far as uh kenny stills it's a little bit concerning, kind of his production levels in Houston. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was buried, he was buried behind Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, even Green Bay Packers legend right, right. Randall Cobb. Mm-hmm. So he never really got much of an opportunity. But you can compare it, for example, to a guy like Tavon Austin. You know, for example, when he went to Dallas, he was a non-factor for mm-hmm. two seasons. Now we're hoping. I mean, we're we're basing. All of our expectations on him getting back to the same player that he used to be with the Rams, that same return specialist, that same gadget guy on offense. We're hoping that in this new environment with a coach that he's not only familiar with, but a coach that is creative, a coach that is innovative offensively, can utilize his skill set. I would assume that LaFleur would be able to get something out of Kenny Stills and put him in positions to succeed that that's, that's how I I would personally feel about it. I'm not, I'm not like advocating for Kenny Stills. I mean, like I'm, I'm indifferent, you know, like if if they got him, Oh my God, great. That's cool. If they don't, whatever. I mean, like I still feel very good about this offense right now, but, and as for the, you know, as for the whole Will Fuller thing, a lot of people like, you know, media fans, they're, they're using it as like a, as, as an excuse for like, like hindsight, like, Oh my God, you know, I told you so this and that when, you know, really, I think that's a pretty kind of low thing to do, you know, because maybe Brian Goodenkin's knew, you know, cause he, he's the general manager of the Green Bay Packers. Maybe he knew something that the average beat reporter doesn't, or the average fan doesn't, you know? So maybe there was something that kind of like spooked him, maybe like, you know, didn't want to, uh, pull the trigger on that maybe it's the fact that brian cushing is on the strength and conditioning staff <laughs> i mean that's that, that's enough reason right there to kind of like kind of like ward you off i mean i wouldn't blame him so that's just kind of like how, how i feel about it i mean i wouldn't necessarily he's like he's owed like like an apology or anything but in retrospect it's kind of like uh it's, it's just a, it's a good thing that they didn't send over a second rounder or whatever the hell the Texans were asking for
0: there is a reason to it. He's Zachary Jacobson, a writer for Packer Report and also a contributor on Game on Wisconsin. Join us here on the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. And as you can tell, me and Zachary, we kind of talk like two guys in a bar sometimes uh, when it comes down to it here. All right, so the Packers win the game over the Chicago Bears 41-25. to What did this bounce-back win say about the 2020 Packers going forward?
2: I mean, I don't think it was much... It wasn't necessarily like like a litmus test or anything. This is one of those games that you expect the Packers to win. And like like Aaron Rodgers always says, the great teams kind of like—is it Aaron Rodgers that says this? I mean, I, I don't I don't remember, but someone <laughs> someone says this. It's either Aaron Rodgers or it's it's Matt Lafleur. It's one of those two. You expect to win these games. You you know if you want to be a great team, you have to win the games that you're expected to win. And the Packers, they were expected to win this game. You know, I mean, go back to that game against the Jaguars a couple of weeks ago, you know, where the Packers won, I think, just by, by like three points or whatever it was. The Packers didn't play their best game of the season, and they were in a very, very tight battle with a team that they should have throttled. They should have wiped the floor with, you know, in, in the confines of Lambeau Field. You know, they should have slapped them around, and they didn't because the Jaguars, they get, played, they get paid to play the game, too. They showed up. They played a hell of a game. And I think after the Packers punted on what their first three possessions of the game, I think that was when they kind of like realized like, Oh wow. These guys are, these guys are pretty good. Their record doesn't say it, but they're pretty good. I thought the bears would have put up a little bit better of a fight. I mean, I know they didn't have a Hicks. He was out with the hamstring, but Jalen Johnson, Kyle Fuller, still a pretty good corner tandem. And Devontae Adams was getting really whatever he wanted. He struggled a little bit. He only had five catches, but you know, when Devontae Adams had five catches and over 50 yards and a touchdown, I mean, like when everyone looks at that stat line and they go like, Oh, Devontae Adams didn't have the best night. I mean like that speaks, that's a testament to the type of standard that he's set. Like it's, it's ridiculous. But anyways, I don't necessarily, you can look at this, this win and then putting up over 40 points. You can't really look at it and be like, Oh, Packers are back on that Super Bowl track. They're back in, in the race for that, for that top seed. I mean, Oh wow. They're just, they're, beating the hell out of everybody. I I still think, you know, their performances against some teams earlier this season, like the Buccaneers, the Colts, who like Aaron Rodgers and like LaFleur, I, I left that game kind of feeling good about them, surprisingly, just based on how, how they played, despite the loss. You still need to see them perform against some of the top tier teams and just hold, hold their own. Like, it, it's great. It's great that they're taking care of business against teams like the Bears, Seems like like uh, like the Texans. Seems like the 49ers who pretty much had like eighty percent of the roster on the injury
0: report. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, that was that was a that was kind of a layup game, but still, you got to win those layup games. So doesn't doesn't tell you much, but it's still uh, a W in the win column. So.
0: So you talk about Devontae Adams, he only had five catches on the night and a touchdown, but a big, but uh, another great breakout game for Robert Tunyon. What has Tunyon done to improve his game throughout this year? He's starting to look like a junior version of George Kittle at times.
2: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I, I think they do train together, don't they? They do.
0: Yes, they do. They are best friends, actually.
2: Yeah, well, there you go. Both were 85. I think they both have man funds. Um <laughs> you know, I think that that touchdown specifically against the Bears, that's like a perfect encapsulation of some of Tunyon's kind of breakout plays this season. A lot of his plays, his biggest plays where everyone's been like, Oh wow, look at Robert Tunyon. He's he's breaking out of the seam. Not to take anything away from him, but they've all been a result of what the Packers are doing offensively, schematically. They've been able, like on that touchdown. The one that Aaron Rodgers broke fifty thousand yards on. Devontae Adams was breaking underneath. Uh, I'm not sure what route he was running, but he was breaking underneath towards the heart of the field. I think it was just a, just a crosser, and his presence alone was enough to draw the entire secondary really to his location, and that was enough for Robert Tuning to just break deep, cut behind the safeties, and he was wide open. It was just that that single coverage. He cut back towards, kind of like towards the goalposts, and that was it. All of those guys turning their attention to Devonte Adams. That, that was enough. It's just, it's not the illusion of complexity that Matt Lafleur floor always talks about, <laughs> but it's just, it's just these little schematic things that free up other guys. You know, it's why Jay Sternberger has made a few plays this season. It's why Robert Tunyon is breaking onto the scene. It's why, you know, Equinemius St. Brown last couple of weeks has been pretty impactful now that he's, now that he's back and healthy on the roster. Um, you know, it, this offense gives so many guys an opportunity to step in and contribute and, you know, leave, leave their mark. So I think, I think that's definitely one of the biggest things. And Jamal Williams also said that a few, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, on the Jamal Williams show, that, that was the biggest difference between, no, I'm serious. <laughs> so you're laughing. It's, it's, it's the Jamal Williams, the Jamal show, Williams
0: show. I love it. Yeah, I yeah, love, yeah. It. No, love it. No, No, the best thing about it is is that one of my favorite things to watch is him at pregame because you feel I'm not going to lie. His dances make me feel like I should get up and start doing a couple of dances here. But I mean, thank goodness we're not uh, videotaping this, but uh, (laughs) it's pretty amazing. Like the moves he has and how much he just loves the game here. Uh, But continue on with what you were saying about Jamal Williams. No, it does.
2: get get It's (laughs) funny. Let's you want to get moving a little bit, but yeah, no, on the, on the Jamal Williams show a couple of weeks ago uh, on, on game on Wisconsin, he, he said uh, the biggest difference between Mike McCarthy's offense and the offensive amount LaFord runs is that everybody gets to come in and get a chance to contribute. The ball is just, everybody gets a chance to just, just play, you know, and, and he's right. I mean, we see it every week.
0: What have you seen differently out of, out of Williams compared to the past couple years?
2: Way, way, way more energy. I mean, he, he's always just been an energy, just this ball of charisma and energy. I mean, we've, we've always seen that, but I mean, for example, in that game against the Texans, I think it was, it was right after he, he caught a pass, turned up field for 17 yards on like one of the first offense plays of the game, lowered his shoulders, trucked the, the living hell out of a guy and popped right back up and started headbanging. <laughs> and it was at the very, very beginning of the game, like first possession, like one of the first plays of the game. And and to have that energy just right out of the gate. And we see it every week, him dancing in front of the big cameras. Uh you know, it's just it's it's I can't imagine how it feels in the locker room and like on the field to the, to be part of that, to be a part of the team and to just be around that. Like it's infectious just watching it on television. So I can't imagine actually being around him, but aside from the energy, you're seeing him just his vision as a ball carrier, and you're also seeing him get more involved in the passing game. He's just getting so many more opportunities. In the last couple weeks, um, I know three years ago, we would have all had an aneurysm over this, but he's been kind of splitting time with Aaron Jones a little bit because he's been productive. You know, He's been productive as a ball carrier. He's uh, played a role in the passing game. He's Great, you know, great, uh, great in pass protection as he has been since really coming into the league. Um,
0: Those are really the big differences. Let's talk about an offensive lineman that has been a huge bullseye for Brian Kutukas, Elton Jenkins. What if I told you to give me one word to describe this kid, what is the word? Invaluable. Why is that?
2: I just don't think you can put a price on guys like that guys that can come in and really just play all five positions like that. I think the only spot he hasn't played, I think is right guard. Like I think this season, which I think if he had to, he can come in and play
0: right guard. Like no, no doubt about it. He played one snap. Okay. Well, there you go. (laughs) He's played every single, he has played every single position on the offensive line. It's, it's crazy to me. And he is. And the crazy,
2: the crazy thing is like, it's one thing to just play all five positions on the offensive line. Like Don Barkley did that. Yeah, Don Barkley did that a few years ago, you know, which, and, and, you know, great for him. He didn't do it well, but you still, he, that was, that's great depth to have, you know, regardless. And I know a lot of people laugh at that because it's, it's Don Barkley, but still, you know, you can't, put, can't really can't measure that, but it's one thing to do that, but it's another thing to do it as good as he does. Like he was great last season at left guard, but now what he's doing being tossed around during games into various positions after you've been training in a certain spot all week going into a game and to have to make that switch in the middle of a game. I mean, that's Aaron Rodgers says it, the floor credits it. it, It's ridiculous. And it's like, it's unheard of. And not only is it a credit to him, obviously it's a credit to Adam Senevich and you know, the assistant OL uh, offensive line coach uh, Luke Butkus, but you know, Elton Jenkins, he's, he's just, he's been incredible, you know, and I think you can make a case that he's been the Packers best offensive lineman this year, him and David Bakhtiari. I mean, it's those two at the top. You, you can make an argument for either one. Really.
0: Zachary Jacobson writer for Packer report and contributor for a game game on Wisconsin. joining us here on the turning points podcast. Let's go to the other side of the spectrum, the defense. What will it take for defensive coordinator, Mike Petton to keep his job? would you like a Jeopardy theme (laughs) look I I carry a philosophy and I you know I've I've been
2: I was the same person two years ago when Mike McCarthy was on the brink of getting fired I, I, I personally do not I personally do not like speculating about people's jobs especially in the middle of a pandemic but for Mike Petton to be coaching in Green Bay next season, I really don't know. I mean, even if this defense makes some kind of ridiculous turnaround and they become top five in the league and they start generating turnovers, which they've they've been doing the last couple of weeks. I'll give I'll give them a credit for that. They will need to just have some kind of historic turnaround and probably win a Super Bowl. But even then, I just feel like he's on a very, very rocky platform right now. I mean, I was shocked that Matt Lafleur kept him on his staff going into the season because he—he's not a, a Lafleur guy, you know. McCarthy hired him, you know, so it's not even like—it's not even like Lafleur like handpicked someone that he wanted. So I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm shocked that he went into this season uh, in, in his current role. But I'm just saying, Vic Fangio's out there right now. Wade Phillips is out there right now. Uh, Jerry Gray would be a fun internal promotion, I feel like, for what he's done with, uh, with the cornerbacks this season. Mike Smith from the outside linebacker's position. Uh, an internal promotion feels very, very Packers-like because like, it would do. But yeah, some kind of remarkable turnaround, I feel like. But even then, I, I just, I don't, I don't know, man. I feel like Mike Patton has just kind of like, he's he's kind of played himself out a little bit.
0: Yeah, it it's crazy to me watching Mike Pettin coach up this defense because when I was watching the game on Sunday, to me, there was a formation. David Montgomery went all the way down to the eight-yard line, and it looked like we – it was like the, I said, okay, so what is this? Is this the Ten Commandments formation? Because it just looks like Moses just part of the Red Sea for David Montgomery. I, I couldn't understand – the formations this guy has come up with, and I just once again, Zach, it feels like this three-four defense is not fitting with the Packers and Matt Lafleur. What he's trying to create here, Matt, Matt Lafleur is trying to create a three-year plan, just like Mike Holmgren did back in the early '90s. I mean, we were thirteen; they were thirteen and three last year. This year, they look like down the road to being like a eleven five to maybe a thirteen and three team again get that number two seed, but it feels like that defense is just going to keep them back. But I also want Packer fans to also understand it's not just all Mike Patton. It's some of the players that were left from McCarthy's crew and Ted Thompson brought in Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, Kevin King. These are the three guys to me that I feel are expendable. And I, if they're going to make this defense better, they got to bring in people that are going to fit in. If it means turning this team into a 4-3 defense again like Fritz Schirmer back in the 90s. So be it. I'll sign up right now for it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I,
2: I said a few weeks ago that, because I agree, it's not entirely on Mike Pitt. And I think everyone everyone has this perception just of just this, oh my God, we got to fire the guy that's in charge of this entire unit. We got to go after him, get your pitchforks, do this, do that. It's also it's also on the players. You know, you can only do so much as a coach to put your guys in position to execute and to do their jobs. On that run you mentioned, that David Montgomery run, yeah. I don't know what the hell Christian Kirksey was doing. In fact, I don't know what the hell Christian Kirksey was doing for like ninety percent of the night. Like it was one, it was one of his worst games of the season. Absolutely. Yeah, he it was it was rough, and especially even more so to be specific when when the Bears were driving down at halftime. I mean, I I told my uh, one of my one of my co-hosts, Eli Berkovitz, like he looked like a slug in, you know, when the when the Bears were in the red zone. Like I I don't know what the hell was going on, but I said a few weeks ago that I think it's 70-30, 70 being coaching, 30 being on the talent. The Packers don't really have much on the defensive line outside of Kenny Clark. Montrevius Adams, he was having a pretty good season. He was having a solid season and now he's He's on injured reserve with the toe injury. Again, yeah, uh, again. Uh, Dean Lowry, (sighs) he's—I don't know where the hell he is. And I mean, the Packers gave him that contract. That's a whole other thing. But Tyler Lancaster, he's been—he's been a notch below Montrezl Sanders. He's had a couple good moments, but he's—he's not a starting caliber defensive lineman like the Packers have been using him. Uh, Billy Wynn in very few snaps has been a decent, pleasant surprise. Also, very, 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 very intelligent, good guy to listen to uh, in, in, in his pressers or in the one presser that he did. I think he's 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 a really good dude. But aside from that, talent on the field. Um, and you know, really, oh, and Kingsley Kiki, he's been he's been pretty good. Yeah, that's
0: yeah, that's what it is. No, no, nobody can see this, but he he game. Jake gave me the, the shaky hand. I gave a little shaky hand. Yeah. And that's what it's felt like with this team is that in this front seven, I mean, outside of a Darius Smith, I mean, even Preston Smith finally came to life here, but I keep watching that defensive line. And I just sit here and go, Kenny Clark can't do it all. Guys. You guys have got to find these edge rushers that could be able to help out Darius Smith and Preston Smith. If it's not working, Flip-flop it. Make it to that 4-3 if you have to. Because we are wasting the talents of Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith by just lining them up here just like this and, you know, just go after them. I mean, I was talking to um, Mike Mike Wendlet, uh, for example. I talked to him every, during every Packer game, and he brought up a great point. I asked him, what has happened to Preston Smith all of a sudden? He looks like he's back in last year again. And he said, well, he's been having happy feet lately. And now he's starting to go after him with some power. And I said, well, where has that been all year that we they should never get away from that? If it was working last year, you keep doing it this year. That's what made the Smith brothers so dominant. And I mean, geez, they were national headlines for crying out loud at that point. So let's stick with the defense here for a minute. Anthony Rush just got signed. What is it about this kid that Packer fans should be watching for?
2: Earthly, I couldn't tell you. Other than the
0: 6'4", I think 351 measurables. I, I, believe. I believe it was 361 if I remember correctly. 361?
2: It was up there, yeah. You know, see, I initially thought it was just a move that was made because they were going into the Bears game. They signed a former Chicago Chicago Bear for for Intel. I remember they did that going into last year's season opener uh, with an offensive lineman. I forgot. can't remember his name at the moment. But that's what I initially thought. Then they they announced the signing. I think uh, on on Monday. So I was like, oh, this is this is for real. They need uh, they need a run stuffer, and that's that's what he does. That's I haven't like done like a, like a deep dive on him or anything like that. But I know I know he's uh played nine games I think with the Eagles, and then a couple with the Bears this season. I think played don't three call, games with the Bears. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, so I am thinking about the right guy. I got mm-hmm. so many players floating around in my damn head. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: it's all good. Here, right? This is don't quote me on anything. Remember, of this. every time we do an interview together, this is the complete abnormal version of a professional interview. I mean, it, it kind of feels like we're talking in a bar and it kind of feels like we're doing this professionally. So every time we always do this, it's kind of like back and forth with you and me on this. So
2: perfect. perfect
0: I get that. Yeah. Keep, all right, keep, keep so expectations okay. low. Right. Okay. So let's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Expectations low. No, expectations high. Anyway. Right, uh right. he's Zachary Jacobson, uh, writer for Packer Report. Joining us here on the Turning Points podcast. If you're still listening, thank you so much. I'm Jake Rongholt. Tweet me at, at Both sides Sports. All right, let's get some happiness into this defense because there are actually some players that have improved this year. Give me a few. <laughs> Well,
2: I'll start with Darno Savage coming off of what is, was probably the best game of his career. Uh, and starting with that interception he made, I mean, it was a beautiful play. Just look, like looking at the film, he 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 you know he faked like he was going one way, flipped his hips and, and hit, hit the post route. And he used that closing speed of his, which was his speed coming out of Maryland was one of the biggest attributes for him. And he used that speed, get ahead of the ball, get ahead of the receiver and make that interception. And then later he, you know, made his second interception. Definitely his best game as a pro. Uh, I still think he should be utilized best more in, in the box, more closer to the line of scrimmage. But you know, that's a whole other story. Jair Alexander, he is probably one of the best corners, if not the best corner in football, playing right now. Uh, I mean, he's lock he's locking guys up every single week. Uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but he is he, he's giving up just he's giving up so little amount of yards every single week. And, you know, it, it, it's so it's so impactful when you're a defensive coordinator, especially like Mike Pettin. And you can trust one of your corners to just pretty much isolate one side of the field. I mean, you have one side of the field locked down. And then if Savage makes a jump, I mean, you get a free safety like that. I mean, that the Packers haven't had that since Nick Collins, since he was able to just completely just shut down the deep ball. Pretty much. I mean, that, that roaming kind of free safety type of player. Those are two guys, uh, two guys in the secondary. And I think the middle linebacker room right now deserves a ton of praise because, look, we went into the season with that whole room in a state of flux. We had no idea what the hell to expect. Now we didn't have Blake Martinez anymore. Um, they didn't have Blake Martinez anymore. And... They signed Christian Kirksey, who a lot of people were kind of iffy. He had some injury history and, you know, didn't really know what to expect. But now that room is crowded. You got Christian Kirksey. You're going to have Chris Barnes, I'm assuming, activated from the, the COVID uh, reserve list soon, hoping. And then you have Kamal Martin, who you drafted in the fifth round. He's been a pleasant surprise now that he's back uh, from, from the injured reserve. That's three guys right there. Ty Summers took over the communications when he came in for Kirksey after his injury uh, in that game against new Orleans. And he's played snaps here and there uh, um, as a contingency plan. Obviously you don't want to start him, but you know, he's, he's been decent. He hasn't been terrible, which I think for a seventh round pick he made a couple of years ago, that's not, that's, that's pretty good. You know, he's played most on the special teams. So for four guys right there, I don't know what the hell to make out of Warren Burks. It's a totally different story again. I mean, the Packers are deploying him at an outside linebacker, which I think is still very, very questionable to me. I don't understand that. But, yeah, that whole middle linebacker room, I think, is just very crowded right now. And I think, you know, the Packers are going to have some decisions to make once Barnes is back. Um, I mean, do you start Christian Kirksey? Do you keep him in there? Or do you you bump Chris Barnes over Kamal Martin, who's been playing uh, alongside Kirksey? I mean, what do you, you know, really, what do you do there? So, you know, there's a lot of depth there right now.
0: Final question. You know this is coming, and we've been doing this ever since we did that one post game report back on Pack a Day. Wow, that was so long ago. How many Um, different Twitter handles have you had? What what is this? It's Zachariah J. You gotta explain this to me.
2: I gotta hide from the feds, man. All right, so you know, everyone makes jokes about it. I like to joke about it too because you know I, I I enjoy self deprecation. Apparently. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I like to say you know, I'm on like account 30 I'm on account 27 blah 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 72 <laughs> but I think I'm only on like 7 or 8 right now you know um, yeah so it's the handle is it's Zachariah J because I can't use my full name anymore pretty much and that's also why my actual name is just Zachary or it was Zachary and imprint that Caesar said unless uh, and that's why I can't use an actual picture of myself That's why my email isn't in my bio anymore. I pretty much have to take on a whole other persona and like hide
0: in like this incognito (laughs) freaking dog picture. You're you're the guy from Oliver and company. I swear you're about to start singing Billy Joel. I don't know what's happening. I, hey, I'll do it. I'd love to do Joel. Don't, Why don't tempt me. Why should I worry? Why should, Why I, should care? I care? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So before you go, give me a good feel on this game against the Eagles coming up for the Packers.
2: Well, the good feel. The Packers should beat the brakes off of the Eagles. If Carson Wentz starts, because there is a lot of film on Carson Wentz, and you know what to expect from Carson Carson Wentz, he is very bad. I think even Mike Pettin can can formulate a plan against Wentz. Um, if it's Jalen Hurts, I think the Packers may have a little a little something to worry about. I mean, you don't really know what to prepare for. He's very mobile. We haven't seen a ton of him at the NFL level yet, you know. So. And also it's gonna be uh Darius Slay and Devontae Adams again. Uh so it'll be nice it'll be nice for Adams to, you know, reunite with one of his sons. Um yeah. I, I think I think it'll be a it'll be a fun matchup and a really a good feel good game for the Packers, for their for for fans to kind of just build off of what they did against the Bears. You know, kind of just keep stacking success. You got back to back games at home like this. You gotta capitalize, take advantage of that. All right, give me a final score real quick. Final score. I think the Packers dropped 40 in back-to-back games. It's not, necessarily, it's not necessarily the the back-to-back 50 burgers they put up in, in uh, 2014, which <laughs> <laughs> like, the Eagles were, were one of those games, coincidentally. But uh, I think the Packers win this one 42-20.
0: Wow. Forty-two to twenty. All right, Packer fans, you heard that. Zachary Jacobson believes the Packers will win forty-two to twenty over the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm sorry, Eric Wilson. Uh, go ahead. You're about to say <laughs> and something.
2: In my, and in my defense, I think Look, I picked the Packers to lose
0: against the Colts. Okay. Wow. I picked, them to, I picked them to beat the Bears 13 okay. 17 So okay. I, was, I was pretty close on that. All right. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna so. give you all you got there on that. He is Zachary <laughs> Jacobson. Please please follow him on Packer Report. He is also a host on the game on Wisconsin. Uh Twitter handle. It's Zachariah J. You don't want to miss this guy. It's very easy. Find the man from Oliver and Company, he has a mask around it. That's Zach. And he always gives excellent, excellent Packer uh information on this. As I said. He's always a blast to have on here. He always stands out to me and he's a great friend of mine. So Zachary, thank you so much for coming on the turning points podcast and uh, good luck out there in California. Be safe.
2: Right back at you, man, you be safe over there. And again,
0: thank you for having me on. Uh, It's always nice, always nice catching up. All right, all right. So, that was Zachary Jacobson, writer for Packer Report. And like I said, it's kind of just like Mike Tuck. You know, Mike Tuck last week, we were on about a good 40 minutes of the interview at this point, and we had to be like, okay, we got to cut this out. All right, special thanks to Alex Fleming of the Florida Sun and Zachary Jacobson of Packer Report and contributor to Game On Wisconsin. You can find these two gentlemen. At Fleming on Twitter, that's Alex Flemings. And then Zachary Jacobson, (laughs) still laugh over this. It's it's Zachariah J. Yeah, and uh, as you can hear in the interview, Zach has uh, changed his Twitter handle more times than ever. It's crazy to me. I'm actually starting to think about, like, we can get him a closet for all of his Twitter handles that he's had in the past and see if he wants to pick one out. Anyway, bad joke aside, let's finish this off strong, and we'll do our... We did not forget segment. And first off, we'll start off with what is happening in Ohio State. Well, look at this. 23 23 players are out against Michigan State, including four starters, including a linebacker and three offense alignment. Here we go again, COVID madness. And, of course, what are they doing? They're playing. Instead of canceling the game, they are playing because this is exactly what I said at the beginning of the show. Ohio State is trying to everything in its life to get into this college football playoff because they want to try and make a profit off of it they want to try and get that college football college football playoff money what a joke speak about that what is not a joke actually is what happened historically last week now everybody has had their opinion on this but i'm going to stand by this sarah fuller the first woman to ever play in a Power 5 college football game last week is the first woman to do that, Sarah Fuller. She plays for Vanderbilt. They're winless. They just fired their head coach, Derek Mason. They're going to be you know, moving on with the talent that they got. But it was amazing to me when I saw that it was SEC players of the week. And why not? This is the first woman to do this. But of course, we can't have nice things because we have to go to the other side of the spectrum. And what do they think? Well, we have people like uh, Jason Whitlock who are calling it the Make-A-Wish America Foundation. What a joke! Let me tell you something, and I'm going to say it one more time: Women are athletes. Women can do anything that a man can do. Don't give me this nonsense because I'm going to put I'm going to put facts to your holes-heavy argument. Why didn't she hit anybody? Well, it's because she's a kicker. That's one. Uh, Two, she only did it once. And three, she's a kicker. Uh, Let's see here. What's another one that I heard? Why are we having such a big deal over somebody playing on a winless team? Well, I don't care if they're winless. I don't care if they're undefeated. What is the problem with that? You have no point to it. If you are going to be misogynistic, sexist, annoying with it, and trying to make up all of these vague arguments... Go find something magical. It's called facts. Facts don't have one side or the other. They're just facts. They're neutral. Understand that. Sarah Fuller deserved every single piece of being named one of the players of the week in the Southeastern Conference. That's my opinion on that. And finally, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Des Bryant is actually becoming what we believe that he could become. And I'm not saying on the field, I'm saying off the field. We know what happened to him in Dallas. We know that was a bad marriage. It became a nasty divorce. And both of them moved on with uh, malice in their heart. Except Des Bryant was asked this question this week because the Baltimore Ravens that Bryant is part of was asked a question about how he feels about playing against the Cowboys. And all he said was, and I quote, water under the bridge. That's all I need to hear. If I hear wide receiver Des Bryant, 32 years young, getting another shot with an NFL team, saying about his former team, water under the bridge. Perfect. That's all I need to hear. I don't need to hear some big, you know, big story, Tom Rinaldi doing the narration and all this kind of stuff. I just need to hear one solid sentence of class. And that's what I heard from Des Bryant. So kudos to him. I give him credit. And guess what? I also give credit because that is the end of our podcast for the week of December 5th, 2020. I want to say thank you to Zachary Jacobson and Alex Fleming next week. We got a jam packed show for you, including Zach Pearson, a bear report to break down what in the daylights is taking the bears so long to moving on from Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. We'll get into that until next week. Wear a mask, be with your friends, be with your family, be safe out there, socially distance we're going to get through this together. We just have to be together. This has been the Turning Points Podcast, where we always, always remind people to tell both sides of the story. And we'll see you next time on the Turning Points Podcast. You're listening to it right here on Spotify, Anchor, and iTunes. See you next time.